Thank you for joining us online at Hauser Community Church. Directly after the message, we'll tell you how to contact us if you have any questions. Now let's join the speaker as he begins his sermon. Well, as Tim introduced myself, my name is Darren Eunice. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Sarah, over here. Uh, we have five kids together. Uh, and three of those are here today, which is, was great to see. We have uh, Kaylee Campbell and Michael. Uh, my oldest, Kezia, is in the Air Force in Utah, and our youngest son, Matthew, um, he's in the Marine Corps training in California right now. So um, we started coming to Hauser about three and a half years ago. We knew from the second that we came here through uh, the pastor's preaching um, that we were right where we needed to be, and then getting to know a lot of you guys has, has been great for us, uh, sitting in the morning and Sunday, Sunday morning study and hearing the wisdom of some of the men that are here in the church um, has been great for me, the accountability that I've gained from that. Um, but not too long after coming here, uh, pastor stood up and said that they needed help in the youth group. So on the way home from church that day, uh, Sarah asked me, she said that she felt like the Lord was calling us in that direction. So at that time we volunteered uh, to be part of the youth ministry. Um, we've always been drawn to kids I have a heart for kids, um, so we've been working in that aspect. And after that point in time, when when the last youth pastor left, that's when I, Sarah and I both stepped up and, and ran the the youth group until they found someone. And and I wasn't sure what I was going to teach about, and so I felt like the Lord was calling me to to teach on the Sermon of the Mount. Um, it's the greatest sermon that was ever preached uh, by Jesus Christ. I feel like there's a lot to unpack in the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, it was felt like it was a direct target on the scribes and Pharisees and uh, following the law and the ritualistic self-righteousness uh, that came from that. Um, they tweaked it to, uh, to, I think, benefit their own self-righteousness. And Jesus turned that on his head pretty quickly in the Sermon of the Mount that he's more concerned on a relationship with him than ritual. That was, that was his key message from the first words that were recorded uttered out of his mouth, blessed are the poor in spirit, because we have to come to a point where we understand that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that is only through the grace of God and the sacrifice by Jesus Christ that gives us the opportunity to have the freedom to have salvation only through him, that it's nothing that we can do. When you look at that, and we, today we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, I keep coming back to this verse, Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I have to look at myself, because he, he calls them hypocrites, I have to look at my own faith and where that is at. <clears throat> so having the poor in spirit. And when I was, when my kids were growing up, I coached, I think, 17 or 18 sports teams from third grade girls basketball, uh, girls softball, tackle football from third grade to varsity. And I wasn't a very good coach because I wasn't really an X's and O's kind of coach. I didn't really understand strategy, especially when it came to football and basketball. It was very difficult me, for me to see the big picture, 
to see what's going on in the game. I would focus in on whoever's dribbling the ball, or I would focus on who was carrying the ball, or the quarterback, but it was hard for me to see the big picture. But what I did do, and all the teams that I coached, is I worked on the fundamentals. Because I was a wide receiver in football, it didn't matter how good I could run a pass route if I couldn't catch the ball. It didn't matter in basketball how good of a shooter I was if I couldn't dribble. And in baseball, it didn't matter how good I could field the ball if I couldn't throw it. So really working and focusing on those fundamentals was one thing that I did when I was coaching all of my teams. And then understanding that maybe 1% of these kids would ever get to the college or the pro level, I thought it would be good to focus on characteristics that will help them throughout life. So every team that I ever coached, it didn't even matter if it was third grade, I taught them the acronym HEART because I wanted all of my teams to have heart. And that H was hard work or hustle, energy, aggressiveness, respect, and teamwork. And that's what I focused on when I coached. Maybe I didn't have the X and O's and maybe I didn't have the best teams, but we made sure that we focused on the fundamental. And one of the fundamentals of being a Christian, of our faith in Christ, is prayer. I'm going to say that again. That is the fundamental part of our faith is prayer. That's how we start out asking the Lord to come into our hearts to save us is through prayer. It is the way that we communicate with our Creator, our Sustainer, and our Redeemer. It is the life source that we have of communication. And it goes hand in hand, not only with prayer, but in reading His Word. Because I talk to Him through prayer, He talks to me through His Word, and they need to be hand in hand. Just like if I came home, or every conversation I had with my wife, I would say, honey, you look beautiful today, I love you. And I didn't listen, I didn't do anything else. Every single conversation, I said to her, honey, you look beautiful, I'm very thankful for you every single time. There has to be, communication has to be twofold. It has to be prayer, and it has to be reading his word and understanding what he is saying to us. So reading a book uh, by Tim Keller on prayer, he starts off talking that his wife wanted him to pray, wanted him to pray with her, which is so essential for every marriage. But in doing that, she likened it to a story that if he was given a diagnosis of a terminal illness, that he will die within two weeks if he did not take a pill every single day. Would you forget to take that pill if you were diagnosed with that? No, it would be on your mind every single day to ensure that you live. We have the same opportunity with prayer. That is our life source, and it must be part of our daily lives. If you look at other religions, Muslims, they have to pray five times a day. Judaism, we have to pray three times a day. They are devout in their prayer times. How devout are we in our prayer times? I'm saying this because I, like I said, I struggle in my own Christian walk. 
I want to reiterate that I am up here sharing. I'm not teaching. I'm not preaching. I'm sharing just what I need just as much as anybody else. I need to have a better prayer life. But in saying that, we have an opportunity for a direct conversation with our creator, with our sustainer, and with our redeemer every day. We have that opportunity, and he has an open ear to what we have to say. So when we get, my, my occupation is a safety person. That's what I am. I'm the safety manager for a tug and barge company here locally. That guys are out there in a hazardous work conditions. And I tell them that you will never arrive someday and you'll say, man, I'm safest. I'm the safest I will ever be. I have arrived. No, because daily we ha they have those hazards that face them on a daily basis. And it's the same way with prayer. You will never get to a point where you have arrived in your prayer life. Looking at people like Martin Luther, who was said to have devoted three hours a day to prayer, three hours a day to prayer. And then you, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, 5 uh, 17 says, pray without ceasing. Where am I at right now in my prayer life compared to getting to that point to where I'm constantly in a mode of prayer? <clears throat> the hope is through this study today of the Lord's Prayer that no matter where you are in your prayer life, that you can have a more deeper, richer, more intimate prayer life. So looking at our text in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it's a good thing for us that Jesus started out teaching us how not to pray before he taught us to pray. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If being seen in public is your only reason for praying for others to hear you, then that's your reward. There's no uh, relationship that's in that. There's no sincerity in that. There's nothing wrong with public prayer, but I believe that there needs to be a strong private prayer life to back that up to, to be able to have a sincere um, public prayer. It's talking about what is our attitude, what is our intent in our prayers when we pray in public. But moving on to verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What are we talking about there? We're talking about intimate private prayer life. He wants our focus, he wants our attention, and he wants it to be sincere relationship with him kind of communication. Going on to verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they will be heard for their many words. So what we're talking about here is fluff. And for much of my life, I always started my prayers with, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for everything you've given me. Now that in itself, very good. I'm very thankful to be alive today and I'm thankful and blessed for that everything that God gives me. But in that same aspect, it's easy for me just to say those words 
every day without much thought going into them to what I'm actually saying. I think there's nothing wrong with more words, but it goes back to that sincerity. It goes back to the heart. It goes back to the relationship. He wants to hear from us. And if we want to pray as Martin Luther did for three hours a day, that's what he wants, but he wants that sincere, honest communication from our hearts. Moving on to verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. If He knows what we need before we ask Him, then why ask Him? Because He wants to know that we depend fully on Him. He wants to know that we need Him, that we depend on Him, that everything we are and everything we have is because of Him. Now, I don't know what your prayer life is like today. I can tell you that, that sometimes my prayer life and, and others' prayer lives may seem more like a drive-by. It may be where we're going into our daily lives and here we duck off into God's presence for a few seconds and we utter up some things that we need and then we're right back in to our normal daily life. And for a big part of my life, that's what my faith looked like. I packed my family up into the, to the van or the, into the car, drove to church, unpacked them, sat in the church service the whole time. At the end, we may talk about, man, that was some good songs, or that was a good sermon the preacher preached. But then come out of it, not changed, no action, no application into my life. So what we're trying to get to in our prayer life is, again, it always comes back to that relationship How are we changing through prayer, through reading of his word, and through our fellowship together? Are we actually taking it out and applying, or are we just hearing? So, now that we know what not to do, uh, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And the people call this the Lord's Prayer, and That may be the case that it is, we know it as the Lord's Prayer, but honestly, the Lord could not pray this prayer fully because as we know, it talks about forgive us our debts. Jesus Christ had no debts to pay. So what is the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is a blueprint. It was a direct answer to a question in Luke's account when the disciples asked Jesus. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And this is the direct answer in Luke's account of how we pray. It's recited everywhere. It may be one of the most recited group of words in human history. It is recited time and time again. And Tim Keller talks of a time of going over to his elder's house when he first became pastor at a church, I believe it was in Virginia, And they got to the house, and they're sitting in the living room, and some of them are in the kitchen cooking, and all of a sudden, it sounded like the walls were going to come down. And Tim didn't know what was going on, and he asked the question, what is that? And the answer from the host of the house was, what is what? Tim says, it sounds like something's about to come through the house. He said, oh, oh, that's a train. The house was about six to eight feet from the train. And so that's really what we're looking at, the Lord's Prayer. It gets repeated so many times again that it just becomes a group of words. I've heard it recited in half times of football games. I've, 
I recited it with my squad many times in Iraq before we were going out on a mission. It's recited, but the depth of what it actually is is how we should pray. So when we look at what we opportunity we have in prayer, it says the whole world is starving for a spiritual experience. And Jesus gives us the means in just a few words. Jesus is saying, as it were, wouldn't you like to be able to come face to face with the Father and King of the universe every day to pour out your heart to him and to sense him listening to and loving you? Prayer is not just for the believer. I mean, we know that unbelievers and people of all different faiths and nationalities and everything use some form of prayer. They say there's no uh, atheist in a foxhole. There is, prayer is definitely used, but what we have here is what we're talking about to God the Father. So when we look at uh, the Lord's Prayer in itself, it is six petitions, kind of like the, the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are set up in the first four, I believe, are our relationship to God, and then the final six are our relationship with others. Well, the Lord's Prayer is set up in the same way. The Lord's Prayer is six petitions. The first three petitions are to Him, and the other three petitions are for us and those around us. So when we talk about those three petitions, we're like, wait, where's the asking? We start off with what we are made to do, and that is glorify God. So the first three petitions are vertical. We are looking straight to him. And I have to look at my own prayer life and say, how often have I looked to him first in my prayers? We have the opportunity of having a six-year-old boy um, that's living with us uh, right now. He's moved in. We've been part of our lives for the last year and a half. He's been living with us since May. And we've been teaching him uh, how to pray. He prays before our meals. He prays at night before he goes to bed. And when I was going through this section on the Lord's Prayer, we were sitting at the dinner table one night, and he started to pray. And during his prayer, he said, God, I hope you're having a good day because I'm having a good day. Now, that hit me hard. It hit me hard because here's a six-year-old that understands prayer better than I do, that he's concerned about how God's day is doing and not focused on what just about me, 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 me. And so it gives me a clear view of why Jesus said to suffer the little children to come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. So as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we look at the first uh, section. I thought that it would be always good to have uh, some letters to go back to uh, to be able to look at how to, the Lord's Prayer is broken out. So uh, adoration is where it starts. And the first two words, our Father. I don't want us to lose that our part because he could have easily said, Father, my Father. Why did he say our Father? He said our Father to understand that we are all in this together as a church. It's not just about us. And I have to tell you, it saddens me greatly to see the amount of division that is in the church. It is our mission to show love. It is the second commandment, the second greatest commandment is to love others as ourselves. We can't even do that inside our own church. 
But that's why we start off with our Father. We have brothers and sisters. We are adopted into His family. So that's why we start with our. So let's move to Father. Father's used 14 times in the Old Testament. And all of those times it's used in the Old Testament, it's not an intimate term. It's used more as uh, a nation, father of a nation, and not a personal interaction. Jesus uses it, or, or Father is used 60 times in the gospel. And each one of those times, it's used as that father-child relationship. Jesus, when he was praying, he used Father every single time he prayed, except for one. When he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When there was a barrier in between him and God from taking on all of our sins. Every other time, he used the term Father. So this Father that we're talking about is Abba Father. It's dearest Father. It's an unconditional love. It's an intimate term of Papa or Daddy with the creator of the universe. Now I have one example, the greatest example I've seen for unconditional love in my lifetime was my dad. My dad has been by my side every step of the way. I remember as a kid, it didn't matter where he was going. I didn't care. I was loaded up with him, and we were going. I remember going on Saturdays to uh, visit bus kids for the church. I remember going out putting up political signs for a, whoever he was supporting in a local uh, political race. It didn't matter what he was doing or where he was going. I always wanted to be with him. He would support me at all of my baseball, basketball, football games. He supported me unconditionally growing up, and I was not a good kid. I'm not going to even, no bones about it. I was dishonest. I, was, I, put a, I even gave preacher's kid a bad name, believe it or not. I don't, I'm not proud of it. I gave him a rough time growing up. I rebelled from a young age. He always stuck by me. I tried so many times to mess my life up. So many times. He never gave up. I think it's safe to say that he's probably prayed for me every day for decades. When I think of unconditional love, I think of my dad. But when you talk about unconditional love, the magnitude from the creator of the universe it pales in comparison to what we have. The debt that we cannot pay. That he sent his only son to endure a brutal death for us. That is the father that we have. And I'm not, it didn't stop there. He resurrected. But to what the price that was paid for us from our Abba Father. He's involved in our lives. And I want to just stop just for a second. And the young people, you may have heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. When I talk about my path growing up and what I did as a youngster, I want you to understand that the friends that you have 
Look at your close circle of friends. The friends that you have is a direct reflection of who you are. And that's what you will be. You have, my dad told me so many times growing up, you are a leader, but you choose to be a follower. And if you choose those friends and you choose to follow them, you're going to end up in a place that you don't want to be. So when we talk about our Abba Father, Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying Abba Father. Romans 8, 15 and 16, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's the reason why we pray in Jesus' name. That gives us access. That gives us the resource of God the Father because we are adopted sons because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Abba Father is to be the foundational awareness of all of our prayers. <clears throat> I want you guys to understand that it took me six weeks to, to talk through the Lord's Prayer with the youth, and I'm really confined with, with 45 minutes here, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do the best I can and be cognizant of your time. So, <clears throat> moving on to that, um, in heaven. So, our Father in heaven. This stresses from Abba Father, from dearest Father. This stresses God's transcendence. This is that He is sovereign, that He is king, that He is reigning, that He surpasses all that is human, and that He is both our dearest Father and our King. And we can call Him dearest Father, but with a deep sense of wonder and reverence. And that's how we, He should be addressed. So moving on to the first petition. In verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 9, hallowed be your name. The first three petitions, upward, vertical, are your. So hallowed be your name. So that's not a word you hear every day, hallowed. So how do we hallow? What is hallow? It means to set apart, to consider... Um, to treat us holy. Um, again, we're looking upward. Now, does this mean that every time that we pray that we have to start off with adoration? What happened, what happened when Peter was walking on water? When he started to sink, uh, did he say, Lord, you're so wonderful. Uh, you're so blessed. No, he said, Lord, save me. And there's many times in our prayers that we're going to need to do the same thing. There's sometimes that we don't even have any words to utter, that our intercessor takes those words for us. So this is a blueprint of how to pray, but this doesn't mean that this must be your every single prayer. I think it's key to, to, to recognize that. So how do we hallow his name? First of all, we need to be careful not to profane his name. The way we talk about him and to him, it needs to be reverence. Acts of public and private worship. Obviously, we need to worship him, like we talked about, both publicly and privately. When our beliefs about him are worthy of him is how we hallow his name. When you think about an iceberg, how much of the iceberg can you see compared to how much is under the water? Maybe 10%? 3% I see? Not very much of it, but that's how much we understand God. 
how much is on top of the surface. He will be revealed to us one day, but all of that stuff underneath the surface of who he really is and what encompasses him, we can't even fathom. So when our beliefs concerning him are worthy of him, and then living a life that displays that he is our father. Again, are we have that drive-by faith where we just go out and duck back into our lives, or are we actually living a life that displays that he is our father? So we start off the prayer with adoring. Uh, next, we move into accepting. Your kingdom come. Kingdom is used 123 times in the Gospels, and 98 of those times is Jesus is by Jesus. The preacher just preached about the kingdom of God, uh, three or four weeks of it. Um, so we, I know that we have an understanding when we talk about the kingdom of God. Looking at Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came down as the kingdom of God onto earth and was in the midst of them. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, Luke 17, 21. I think it's also important to know that we have, as Christians, the kingdom of God living in us through the Spirit, and that we need to forward, advance that kingdom of God here on earth, as it says in the Great Commission. Mark 1.15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So when we say your kingdom come, come is actually a verb talking about a place and time, the future. So that perfect kingdom when there's a new, uh, when God reigns on heaven and on earth, that time that we're looking forward to where there's no pain, no suffering, that we'll see God as who he really is, that time in the future. But right now, we have to be the kingdom of God on earth as far as advancing it by preaching the gospel and telling others about him and the way that we live our lives, what he talks about in the Sermon of the Mount, are we salt of the earth, are we light um, to those around us to bring people to him to further advance that kingdom. We need to be praying that God's kingdom would come in and through us, that God would use us to be a small part in healing a broken world. And then seeking it. Matthew 6.33, seek first, not last, not sometime, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. It should be something that we are seeking on a daily basis through sanctification that we seek for to become more like him on a daily basis by seeking his kingdom. The third petition, thy will be done. Thy will versus our will. We, we always know so good what's, what's good for ourselves, or at least we think we do. And 100% of the time, it gets us into trouble. We need to rely on what God's will is for our lives. When we pray that will be done here, we're actually saying, Lord, I will obey everything you say in your word, even though I don't like it. Lord, I will accept everything you send in my life, 
even though I don't understand it. Let me say that again. Lord, I will obey everything you say in your word, even though I don't like it. Lord, I will accept everything you send in my life, even though I don't understand it. That's easier said than done. But when we talk about praying God's will, that is actually what we're praying for. Accepting and obeying what's in his word, things that happen in our lives. I don't know what any, all of you are going through today, um, but I pray that you can pray this prayer and know that God's will is happening in your life and look to him. We have a perfect example that was given in Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew what was coming for him, and he still prayed for God's will and not his own. And we need to do the same in our own lives. <clears throat> when we can do that, we have Philippians 4, 7 to look to, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, that's what will be granted to us if we live, abide, and pray His will. We have two things going on in our lives right now that I can attest. You know, the biggest one is possible adoption, uh, the second one is looking for a house. Both of those things that we have prayed completely in to God so that whether it happens or whether it doesn't happen, we have the peace. We have the peace knowing that what happens is what he wants and not what we want. Looking on, finally getting to the part of the prayer that we are so good at or that I am good at, which is asking Give us this day our daily bread. What we're talking about here is necessities and not luxury. It's bread and not dessert. When we look at the manna that was given to the Israelites as they're wandering in the desert, they got together enough for one day. It was their sustenance, sustenance that they could rely on God daily for their feeding. And that's like us in our lives that we need to do the same thing and look to him for our daily dependence that everything we are and everything we have is because of him. God cares for the simple, ordinary, day-to-day things. I don't know, I googled this to try to see who said it, um, but I could not find who said this quote. He whose eye encompasses in its boundless reach, the first day of creation and the last hour of judgment, reflecting all the eternities. He whose outstretched arm enfolds the ocean, uh, islands, and continents because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He occupies himself with his, the trivialities, trivialities of humankind. I was talking to my dad a couple of weeks ago, and he told me the story um, that just happened to him. I lost my uncle uh, a few months ago, and my dad was really close to him. And so after my uncle had passed away, my dad started um, trying to help my aunt. He had tons of things that needed to get rid of and gone through. 
Um, and so my dad tried to help her the best that he could. My dad went to work on his tractor um, one day, and in doing that process of working on his tractor, he lost his keys. Lost the keys to the tractor. My dad was distraught. He was very worried. He looked over and over and over again and could not find these keys. And so my dad prayed about it, about finding these keys, and he, and he prayed about it, and he worried, and he prayed. One day he was out mowing his yard, and he has a riding lawnmower, and he lives on two-thirds of an acre. And as he's riding along, he carries a stick with him so that when he's mowing and the grass bunches up before it comes out, that he can reach down with a stick and, and pull the grass out as he's going. So as he's riding along on the lawnmower, he drops the stick. He gets off the lawnmower to go pick up the stick on two-thirds of an acre, and what's under the stick? The keys. You can call that whatever you want to, but that is an answer to prayer. When you look at the scheme of things in life, how really important is that? But it was on my dad's heart. It bothered him. My dad prayed about it, answered to prayer. The chance, I'm not good at geometry or probability or statistics or anything else, but I can't tell you what the probability of that happening would be without God answering that prayer. So when we look at these, Proverbs 38 and 9, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. James 4, 2 through 3, do you desire and do not have so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. And finally, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we go from asking for our daily necessities, thanks. He wants to hear what's on our heart. He wants to know what we may think is trivial. He is the creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer. Moving on to the fifth petition, forgive us our debts. This is, I spent time here in prayer. I would have my prayer, my normal prayer would be, you know, forgive me of uh, where I failed you in word, uh, thought, and deed. I didn't really get to a point where I was actually confessing sins, actually repenting of sins. Not repenting meaning that I know that I'm going to depend on him to try to keep me from doing these things that I don't want to do. Instead of just a blanket prayer to forgive me of my sins without having any remorse or any actual repentance of those, to be sincere, to have that relationship. So when we look at that, this is a daily ongoing confession of sin and it's true confession. So I'm running out of time here, so I don't want to skip too far through this, but I do want to move along as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is the difficult part. We have to understand that we were forgiven so much. How much grudges and hate do we hold into our heart about people that have wronged us? When Jesus talked in the Sermon of the Mount, he, he was turning and it's on his head because you've kept the law. 
You have not murdered, good for you, but have you been angry? That's good, you have not committed adultery, but have you looked lustfully at a woman? Do you hold these uh, hate in your heart for other people that have wronged you? He's turning that around to understand that we have been forgiven so much, we need to have a relationship with him, but we need to show that to others because ultimately, if we don't want to forgive others, then we must think that we're better than them. If we have an unforgiving heart, we must think that we're better than them instead of looking at really what God has done for us. And when we look at that, when we look at what he's truly done for us, it, look at the parable of the unforgiving servant. We know the story where the king brought in his servants who owed him money. There was one servant that owed him a thousand talents. I looked it up on Google today. I don't know if it's correct. $3.48 billion is what this servant owed him. And the servant begged and said, please, please forgive me of this debt. And so the king forgave him of his debt. And then what did he do when he left? He found someone that owed him 100 denarii. I don't know what, what that is, but I looked it up on Google. It's $5,800. $3.48 billion, $5,800. And he would not forgive this guy of his debt. We have the same picture given to us as Christians. We have been forgiven of so much, yet we will hold other Christians or other people, will hold hatred in, in our heart for something that they may have done to us. We need to show God's love. <clears throat> Looking at James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want you to see something here in the Lord's Prayer. When he gets done in verse 13 with, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why does he go from there? Straight to, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He goes straight from showing what prayer is, the blueprint for prayer, to straight into talking about forgiving one another. We've been forgiven for so much, we need to forgive. Lastly, we've gone from adoring to accepting to asking to armor. This really bothered me. Um, I found this outline uh, from a pastor, and he had A, 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 rebelling against the evil forces of the world. And I'm not OCD, but it just bothered me. Um, so I had to come up with four A's, so armor is what I came up with. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation. Who is our greatest example of overcoming temptation? Jesus Christ. He was in the desert for 40 days fasting. For 40 days. I can't go a few hours without getting hangry. But he was out there for 40 days praying, tired, hungry, and that's when the devil came in. He is our example. He, he had to endure the same things that we endure on a daily basis. 
Ephesians 6, 11-13, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I don't know what all these things are, but I know there's a lot of them. And they are constantly after us. So I want to talk real quick, and I am finishing up, the four stages of temptation. The four stages of temptation that was given to us in Genesis 3, a good picture of, you have the single evil thought, and that's when you need to shut it down. Sometimes in prayer, I find myself get these thoughts, I have no idea where they come from, but I'm like, how am I praying to the creator of the universe and this thought come into my head? It's the time to shut it down. And like I tell the kids, it's so powerful to call out the devil at that point and say, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me because right then you're calling him out and sometimes I'll even end it with, you're a loser. (laughs) Because it calls him out and it points us to God and turns our mind correct right around into coming back into that prayer, coming back into that mode. So get behind me, shut it down. Once the other temp- the temptation, you let it go past there, you have consideration of the thought. You start thinking about what that temptation, what that sin is going to do for us. Then you start get delight in entertaining that thought, and then comes your consent of will and your decision to do it. So the best thing to do is to shut it down uh, right at the beginning. So over te- overcoming temptation grows our faith. Verses saying, do not allow us to come under the sway of temptation that will overpower us and cause us to sin, but deliver us from evil is the last part. We can't do this alone. We look at the verbs, lead us, not into temptation, deliver us. That's what we need him to do. That's what we pray for. We need him to lead us and to deliver us to be able to get through this temptation. And then lastly... 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may may be able to endure it. He will provide a way. Calling out Satan, tell him to get behind you. He will provide a way to get out of it and a way to endure it. The evil forces of this world are strong, and we will fail. However, the more we overcome temptations our life, the more we will depend on him and the more he will be glorified and the deeper our relationship will be. So again, we pray in Jesus' name to acknowledge his intercession and to submit to his will. And then the King James Version ends with, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This was said not to be in the earliest manuscripts. It was actually in the didach, didach, Something like that, the apostles, teaching of the apostles. Um, But ultimately, we're reaffirming at the end of our prayer what we started off with, with adoring. We are giving him, uh, we're saying that yours is the kingdom, Lord. Yours is the power, God. And yours is the glory forever, amen. That's how we finish the prayer, the same thing as as we started with adoring. So adoring, accepting, asking, and armor. Those are the four ways that we can think of the blueprint of prayer. I want to end you with this quote here. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters. 
all mind and every mind, all spirit and every spirit, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relationships, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows nothing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything. That is the God we serve. That is the God that we have an open line of communication with 24-7, 365, rain or shine, it doesn't matter. He is there waiting to hear from us. I hope that you guys take this today wherever your prayer life's at. I hope that we can all have a deeper, richer, more intimate prayer life. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you for this time that we're able to meet here with our brothers and sisters. I thank you for your sovereignty, your grace, and your mercy that you constantly bestow on us even though we are unworthy. Lord, I thank you for what you give us, that you give us just enough. Lord, I please pray that we'll use it that we will glorify you, that we'll be lights on a hill, that we will shine for you as we leave here today, not just to hear something, but to do it. Lord, I pray that you will protect us uh, with, with everything that's going on in our world and in our country, Lord. I just please pray that we will focus on you, that we will show others you and the difference that you can make in our lives. Lord, I just thank you for all that you do for us. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next Unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ. <laughs>